Welcome to, or welcome back to Focus on the Light, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast. This week, focusing on Genesis chapter 6 through 11 and Moses chapter 8, finishing out the book of Moses this week, really mainly being about Noah. And as the last few weeks we've been studying about Enoch and his experience and what he saw going from Enoch and the city of Zion and the generations on to Noah and of course the flood and all that we're familiar with the flood and the generations that come after that. So Genesis chapter 6 and Moses chapter 8 in a way are the same chapter. So as we talked about in the very first episode, the book of Moses is actually Joseph Smith's translation of the first few chapters of Genesis. And the way that it lines up is Moses chapter 8 and Genesis chapter 6. So we're going to talk about those together, which is both about Noah and his experience leading up to the ark. After that, it's, of course, the story of the ark and what comes after that. So we're mainly going to talk about Moses chapter 8. Genesis is great, but Genesis chapter 6 is pretty limited in what it gives us about Noah. We mainly get the story of Noah that most of us are familiar with. The world is wicked. Noah is righteous, and he's told to build an ark. Moses chapter 8 gives us a little more insight into the history of this wickedness which is important to learn about. So it starts with Enoch and the story we're leaving off where we were before. Enoch and the city of Zion being taken up into heaven. But one of Enoch's sons, Methuselah, is left behind. In verse 2, it says that he is not taken, which might seem sad. But the purpose of this is so that the covenants of the Lord might be fulfilled, which he made to Enoch. For he truly covenanted with Enoch that Noah should be the fruit of his loins. If we remember in Enoch's vision, he saw the wickedness of Noah's time. He saw the wickedness of the world and he saw the flood. His heart was pained because of the wickedness of the world. And the Lord, through his Enoch's prayer, covenanted with him that a righteous generation would be through his seed. And for the purpose of that, the Lord keeping his covenant, he left one of Enoch's son, Methuselah, on the earth. Noah, being a descendant of Methuselah and therefore a descendant of Enoch, keeping the covenant of the Lord. So Methuselah is Noah's grandpa. And it's sad to see that even after the righteous city of Enoch and the righteous individual that Enoch is, his son Methuselah, maybe because of the covenant, and we don't really know why, becomes a little bit prideful. And we see that he prophesied that from his loins should spring all kingdoms of the earth. And he took glory unto himself. The prophecy was true. The earth would go through his loins through Noah. But there was the glory he took unto himself. And that pride caused the earth to be cursed. So two generations later, Noah is born. And then we continue until Noah has his sons. And in verse 13, And Noah and his sons hearkened unto the Lord and gave heed, and they were called the sons of God. That's simply it. It was the obedience of Noah and his children. They followed the voice of the Lord when the rest of the world in Noah's time was not. As we'll get into the specifics here, when it talks about the wickedness, it just simply says they heeded not the voice of the Lord where Noah did. That's the main difference here. As we know, the story goes, the world becomes increasingly wicked. Noah tries to teach the people. He continually prophesies of them. He's called as a prophet of God. In verse 19, the Lord ordained Noah after his own order and commanded him that he should go forth and declare his gospel unto the children of men, even as it was given unto Enoch. Meaning the same priesthood authority, the Melchizedek priesthood that Enoch had, was the same priesthood that Noah was given. He was ordained a prophet of God. What's great about that is that we know that same ordination 
has been given to our prophet, President Monson. What a blessing that the wonderful leaders like Noah and even Enoch that we study in the scriptures, we have that same power on the earth today. So, this great prophet Noah, what did he teach the people before he built the ark? Well, it's pretty simple. Verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24. Verse 17, And the Lord said unto Noah, My spirit shall not always strive with men, for he shall know that all flesh shall die. Yet his day shall be an 120 years, and if men do not repent, I will send in the floods upon them. So pretty simple. The spirit won't always strive with us, meaning that our wickedness will remove us from God's guidance. And if we don't repent, destruction will come. So that's exactly what Noah preaches. Verse 20, And it came to pass that Noah called upon the children of men that they should repent, but they hearkened not unto his words. Verse 24, or let's go to 23. And it came to pass that Noah continued his preaching unto the people saying, hearken and give heed unto my words, believe and repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the son of God, even as our fathers. And ye shall receive the Holy Ghost that ye may have all things made manifest. And if you do not this, the floods will come upon you. Nevertheless, they hearken not. So the message was really simple. The message is consistent that we see throughout all the scriptures, the need for repentance, baptism, and enduring to the end which is always a wonderful thing to see, but particularly stood out to me as I was studying because earlier today and earlier this week, my wife and I have been preparing for next Sunday when we will be teaching a mission prep class uh, for my mom's stake. She asked us to, as we're both returned missionaries, we're, we're very excited about it. And we were talking about the purpose of a missionary. What is your purpose as a missionary? And the purpose is to help people come unto Jesus Christ by receiving his restored gospel through faith in Jesus Christ and his atonement, repentance, baptism for the remission of sins, the laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. And we were talking about the importance of that statement, the purpose of a missionary. And that's the true now, whether you're a prophet like Noah, trying to save the world from a flood, or you're President Monson, or President Nelson, or Joseph Smith, or Mormon, or Moroni, or Nephi, or my brother, Elder Johnston, in the mission field, or my cousin, Elder Damron, in the mission field, or Sister Wilson, or whoever it is, all the missionaries serving, the purpose is the same, to bring people to Jesus Christ through repentance and through his gospel. And I I really love that because it adds a simpleness to a chaotic world. There's a lot that I'm trying to sort out and figure out, and it's nice to know that the teachings and way to Jesus Christ isn't some puzzle that I have to figure out. That if I study in the scriptures, it's clear. It is always through repentance and Jesus Christ's gospel. But to get back to Noah, as that verse ended, nevertheless, they hearkened not. These people were so wicked that they would not hearken unto the simple teachings of Noah. We get a little bit of description of this great wickedness that brings about the flood and the destruction of all uh, creatures upon the earth. In verse, 20, in verse 28, the earth was corrupt before God and it was filled with violence. Verse 23, and God saw the wickedness of man had become great in the earth and every man was lifted up in the imagining of the thoughts of his heart, being only evil continually. I think these are the same way that we could describe our world and what we're living in, right? The story of Noah is really important. When the Savior taught us through his life on earth in the Joseph Smith translation of Matthew verse one for 
or chapter one, verse 41, it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall be also in the coming of the son of man. When the savior comes again, the world is going to be in a similar state to the days of Noah. And I think that we're definitely seeing that. And these are why these are accounts are important to us. I love what the come fall me manual said. These ancients account are valuable, not just because they show us that wickedness repeats itself throughout history. More important, they teach us what to do about it. If we wonder how to keep ourselves and our families safe during our time of corruption and violence, the familiar stories in these chapters have much to teach us. I love that. This is a difficult time. I don't have any kids, not yet at least, but the corruption of the world scares me, makes me worried for having children. There are truths in these scriptures that we can rely on for families. Okay. But for people like me and for youth that we we don't have families, we do have ourselves that we can keep ourselves safe through these scriptures. In particular, with one verse here, verse 21 of Moses chapter 8. This is when Noah is teaching the people and they are so corrupt. And also after they had heard him, they came up before him saying, behold, we are the sons of God. Have we not taken unto ourselves the daughters of men? And are we not eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage? And our wives bear unto us children, and the same are mighty men, which are like unto men of old, men of great renown, and they hearken not unto the words of Noah. There's a great complacency and attitude that's like, well, aren't we so great? Look at all the things we're doing. A great focus on worldliness and the accomplishments of earth and mortal living. And think about Noah and his family, and maybe what he was going through. The world and Satan in his control of the world, his influence over the world, not control, but his influence over the world, gets us righteous individuals to feel alone. It often can make us feel like we are the only ones who maybe view things differently. It wasn't just one person who came up to Noah and told him, oh, this, that, and the other. It was everyone. Everyone else but Noah believed what was just expressed, that they were so great. Weren't they the sons and daughters of God? Weren't they being married? And wasn't life so grand? You know, what's the big fuss about type of thing? And I think that that's one of the most difficult things that youth and young adults are experiencing here is that the isolation, which we all experience from time to time, is becoming more difficult as the world tries to persuade us that maybe we're just looking at it wrongly. We're looking at it differently. But we have to be like Noah. We have to walk with God, as verse 27 describes. And he walked with God, as did also his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Which made me think about one of the earlier chapters. So Enoch, right, which would be Noah's great-grandpa, also was described in the scriptures as walking with God. One of the few in Genesis chapter 6, of the few things we get in the description of Noah and his obedience is that he walked with God. The same words used to describe Enoch, the few words used in Genesis to describe both Enoch and Noah, walking with God. And so I was talking to Zany, my sister, about one of the previous chapters and about Enoch and how when the Lord gave him a vision, he told Enoch to put clay over his eyes and then to wipe it off. And after he wiped it off, he had a great vision. And in that episode, I extended an invitation to think about what that clay might represent in our lives. So Zany and I were talking about it and how she had a seminary lesson about this very thing and what that clay might represent. And she had this really wonderful object lesson that her teacher gave that I loved. 
So maybe you can do it for yourself as you're listening, or maybe you can just imagine it. But they took a piece of paper, just a regular piece of paper, and then took a very small push pin and poked a hole in the piece of paper and tried to view something, read something through that puny hole. That was all that they could look through. And the seminary teacher described that that paper blocking the view is the confusion and focus of the world, the mist of darkness as the scriptures describe it. But if we, like Enoch, remove those things from our eyes, wiping the world off of our eyes, we can have a greater vision of the things of God. And we can walk with God like Enoch and Noah did. That's definitely something that I need. I definitely need to wipe the world from my eyes. I think about all the distractions. For my particular distraction, it's definitely my phone. The internet and my phone is a great distraction to me. It takes up a lot of my time. I'm really interested in a lot of things. And so I, I like watching videos about things or reading about things. I've always got something that's I, I'm, I'm reading or watching. And I think about the need to maybe wipe some of that away from my eyes to have a greater vision of the Lord's will for me so that I can walk with him more consistently. So I'm really grateful for Zany and also our seminary teacher for sharing that with me about what that might represent and how we might be a little bit more like Noah in a world surrounded by worldliness and complacency and evil imaginations and thoughts and corruptions and violence and just flat out rejection of God and his teachings that we can find ways to remove that from our vision. But it also comes down to something really, really simple. Genesis 6, its description of Noah is very, very limited. But there's one thing that I did like, and it's the last verse of Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. A very simple description. Once again, going to that idea of simplicity that I'm relying on right now. Noah was simply obedient to what the Lord commanded him to do. So how exactly can we know what the Lord is commanding us to do? In Genesis 6, we get clearly the Lord commanding Noah to build the ark and how to do it. That's what Noah was obedient to. But how do we know? Well, a lot of that is personal revelation, but there's also something else. Like we talked about earlier, one of the restored truths we get through the Moses chapter eight is that Noah was one of God's prophets, that he was ordained with the priesthood and sent forth to preach the gospel. He was chosen to lead God's children on earth before and after the flood. Just the people before the flood chose not to listen to him. And I love what the, again, going to the Come Follow Me manual, I love what it said, talking about prophets. What are prophets teaching us today about the gospel of Jesus Christ that could keep you safe in today's world, right? If we want to be obedient like Noah was, a simple way to do that, again, going back to that word, is to follow the prophet. What a blessing to have that authority on earth because the prophet definitely is able to see what I am oftentimes unable to. And so lovingly through, of course, the prophet's love, but also from heavenly fathers guides us. So what has the prophet been teaching? And very timely, there's this great article that I saw on the church website when I opened it up to get the Come Follow Me manual titled Four Years of Invitations from the Prophet. Since becoming the 17th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on January 14th, 2018, President Russell M. Nelson has used General Conference social media, and other means to extend several invitations to Latter-day Saints worldwide, invitations to act in faith. It's a great article. I'll link it below, talking about the four years of teaching that President Nelson has given us. Great things. It also linked to a social media post, a Facebook post that President Nelson had on January 1st that I really love. And I'm just going to share that. Again, it's a great article. I recommend reading it. 
But let me just share the social media post of President Nelson. On January 1st, he said, quote, I'm sure many of you are setting aside time today to write down your resolutions for the coming year. May I make a few suggestions? First, resolve to strengthen your spiritual foundation. This may involve setting a specific time and place to study the scriptures, praying more often, making temple worship a bigger priority, and letting God prevail in all aspects of your life. Second, resolve to be kind to others. When the Savior Jesus Christ visited the Americas, as recorded in the Book of Mormon, one of the first things he taught was the need to eliminate contention in our lives. So please be compassionate, be understanding, be slow to judge, and be quick to forgive. Third, resolve to be resolute. The Lord loves effort. The Lord loves consistency. The Lord loves steadfastness. While we surely will come up short from time to time, our persistent efforts to hear Him and follow the inspiration He gives us will help us to wax strong in the Spirit. May God bless you, my dear friends, and may this be a wonderful year of purpose and possibilities for us all. Close quote. I'm sure if I took the time, if we took the time, to write down every single commandment or teaching or need to be obedient to that's listed in the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would be here for quite a while. I'm grateful in this moment of simplicity. I don't know why simplicity keeps coming to mind right now, but that's just, I guess, on my mind. As I'm trying to look at Noah's life, as Come Follow Me taught, and learn how I can keep myself safe in this world of corruption, I'm really grateful for a prophet to sometimes lay out the path before me. There was a talk by President Nelson, I think it was the most recent one from General Conference, I'm not going to get this exactly right because this is coming off the top of my head right now, talking about the need to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said something along the lines of following the narrow but well-defined path of righteousness or something like that. But particularly the words well-defined stood out to me. I am really grateful for prophets, be that Noah or President Nelson, to clearly define that path and frequently give guidance of how to follow the Lord, to make a spiritual foundation for myself, to be resolute and to be kind. Before I read the social media post, I was thinking about what teachings came to mind when I thought about the prophet. And I thought he has definitely been teaching us to let God prevail and the necessity of having the guidance of the spirit in our lives. In this world of complacency that we see really accurately described in Moses chapter eight with Noah, we do need the Lord prevailing in our life so that we aren't one of the people caught up in the flood. Speaking of the word prevail, this stood out to me. And moving on with the story here, in Genesis chapter 7, Noah makes the ark. He gathers all the animals as the Lord commands him to. And then in verse 19 and 24, the same words are described talking about the flood coming. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. The waters prevailed upon the earth. And it just made me think in two ways. One, the Lord, be it a flood or a drought, is always prevailing on the earth. I think it was Elder Holland who said, in the great game of life, the score is already on the scoreboard. We already know who's won. It's been declared. We're just deciding which jersey we're going to put on, whose team we'll play on. Luckily, there's not a flood because I'm not a very good swimmer, but the Lord's purpose is prevailing upon the earth. Am I fighting against it? Am I flapping around denying the guidance that he's giving me to avoid the consequences? Or am I on the ark, safe? 
in the Lord's will prevailing on the earth, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of destruction. I'm going to make sure I'm following the prophet so that, so to speak, I'm on the ark as his will prevails upon the earth. And as President Nelson teaches to use the same word, a very simple way to do that is to let the Lord prevail in our life. Now, one other thing that I loved from the story of Noah and, and the flood, and then we'll kind of move on a little bit in Genesis 7. When the Lord commands Noah to go get all the animals, he asks him to go get the animals carefully. And you can tell that the Lord takes account of all his creations. The Lord knows them and asks Noah to take care of them, to take care of these animals for him. So what is the Lord willing to do for us, his children? If he's willing to ask someone to build a boat and get two of each animal and preserve them on the earth. He's taking care of these individuals or these animals, these creatures that can't take care of themselves. What is he doing for us? Just an idea I love to, to think about. So the story goes, we know the flood happens and rains and rains and rains and rains and the world and the people upon it are destroyed because of the flood. But Noah, as the waters prevail upon the earth, is safe in his ark and the waters dry up eventually. And Noah and his children and the animals come out of the ark and begin to spread across the earth. And in verses 9 through 15-ish, we get the Lord talking about his token of his covenant and the rainbow, right? right? I, I, that was the thing I remembered the most about the story of Noah when I was younger is that the rainbow was the promise of God that the flood would never happen on the earth again. The Lord makes covenants. As we saw fulfilled with Noah, that was a covenant to Enoch. The covenant of the flood and people being on the earth is a further fulfillment of that covenant to Enoch, as we get in the Joseph Smith translation, which you can see in the appendix. It's uh, Joseph Smith translation, Genesis 9, 21 through 25. And it just further explains that this token, this promise of the rainbow is one to Noah of the Lord reminding him of the covenant made to Enoch. It's not necessarily a new covenant but a reminder of one that was already made. There are tokens or symbols in the world to remind us of the Lord's promises to us and ours to him. Like the sacrament, the bread and water, we covenant to always remember him. They're tokens of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Why would the Lord want you to remember him and the covenants you've made? Why would that matter to him? But also the other way around, why would it matter to him that you remember the covenants he's made to you. I don't think I'm going to look at a rainbow the same anymore. Every time I see a rainbow, I'm going to be thinking about God prevailing on the earth to go back to that word and him keeping his covenant to Enoch that the people of earth after Noah's time would not be destroyed again. That eventually the righteous people of God would look up to the heavens and the city of Zion and the people of Christ would be able to come to the earth again. That's what the Genesis, uh, Joseph Smith translation talks about. Even still, how many years later, there's still a rainbow reminding the people of earth that the Lord is keeping his covenant to Enoch. And if I'll do my small part, the Lord will keep his covenant to me. For example, the sacrament that I can always have his spirit to be with me. He'll never go back on that covenant. Or like the many teachings we get through the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will return to him. As we try to let the Lord prevail in our life, it's a great reminder of our covenants and our responsibility in them. As we see in the people of Noah, the Lord doesn't want us to forget him. And he gives us lots of reminders about what he is promising us 
if we will simply keep our promise to him. What a blessing. But sadly, despite that reminder, despite what Noah and his children has gone through, it doesn't take very long until wickedness comes upon the earth again. There's this weird account here that if I'm being totally honest, I don't completely understand in Genesis chapter 9 about Noah and his grandson. His name is Canaan. We see very quickly that irreverence and wickedness comes upon the earth. And because of that, we eventually get to the Tower of Babel. Because of the Book of Mormon and the Book of Ether, we know a little bit more about the Tower of Babel, but we get the beginning of it here in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. The people, the sons of Noah, they have sons and daughters and so on and so forth, and the people begin to spread across the earth. But they speak one language. They're united in their language. But sadly, we see that they're united in their desire to build a tower to God. I was, it talked about how they were united under the one language. And it's like, oh, this is great. We're going to get some great teaching about how they were all united as one. And, you know, and then it immediately talks about their tower. That one of the few times on the earth where everyone spoke the same language, of all things they could have focused on, they were focused on building their way to heaven in a tower. To simply sum up this, the story of the people of Babel, or the Tower of Babel, which has often been used to symbolize wickedness and worldliness, the people of Babel decided that what they wanted to do with their building a building, their bricks that they were able to make, to try and build a tower all the way to heaven. And the Lord sees this and he sees their wickedness. And because of that, he scatters them abroad the earth and gives them many different languages. So they're not able to communicate anymore. And it causes division on the earth. Clearly, a tower is not going to get us to heaven. The way to heaven, the way to reach heaven is only by following Jesus Christ. We know that. I talked about that just moments ago. That's the only way. But thinking about the Tower of Babel and what these people in the world were so convinced that they could do, in my experience in our day, looking for the Towers of Babel or maybe just the voices of Babel that try to get us to build a tower, if you will, it's not so much that people are trying to get us to God in a different way. Maybe, I'm sure there's people out there, but not so much in my experience. It's more that the idea of getting to God has completely left, that the goal isn't about heaven anymore, but just about a higher plane, right? The ultimate reward in life or, or reaching your purpose in life or, or whatever it is, the, the ever-changing definition of that or the, the ever-changing goal of our life on earth, we have reached a point where we don't even have the goal of heaven anymore. But beyond that, they're trying to get us to reach a higher plane of life, so to speak, to continue with the tower analogy, through their efforts. There's a lot of really great resources out there. Maybe this is something that more is, applies to me. But there's a lot of great things out there in the world about how to be better. I think about people my age, young adults, youth, we're trying to scout a trail of success, figure out who we are. What does that even mean? How are we going to be successful with the future things coming, a mission, school, a job? You know, you, how can I set myself up for all that comes after? And how can I set myself up for success? How can I set myself up for a lifestyle that I would like? You know, however the, you choose to define it or however you're trying to define it. There's a lot of resources, books, podcasts, speakers, whatever, giving wonderful insights about how to do that. Resources or lifestyles to achieve said goals. 
you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of into those things. I, I love learning about those things, trying to be a better individual. And it's a good reminder to me as I prepare this lesson that while those things are useful, I'm not trying to say that they're a Tower of Babel, they aren't going to get me to heaven. It is ultimately through Jesus Christ. But more than that, it reminded me that maybe sometimes what I'm building my tower towards might be the wrong goal. Not that we want to build a tower. We want to get there through Jesus Christ, but kind of shifting the analogy a little bit. What am I building my tower towards? And I, I know I'm kind of totally messing with the, ten- the analogy of the Tower of Babel here, but it's, it's one that feels a little bit more personal to me, personal to the point of life that I'm in as I'm trying to decide the many different things begging for my time. What am I choosing to point my tower towards? What am I building towards? Hopefully, I'm building towards heaven through the Lord's way, through his well-defined path by letting him prevail in my life. And if so, hopefully I can be a little bit more like Noah or these other wonderful people as we got towards the end of Genesis 11, like Abram and his wife, Sarai. Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham, who we'll get into later. And the wonderful covenant that comes with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. Hopefully I'm building towards the right things. I'm trying to. So it was a little, this was a little bit more of a scattered episode as a, things kind of were here or there picking out. Just kind of little pockets of things that, that spoke to me and, and gave me an idea. Also part of it is that I've spent so much time preparing for this is, uh, mission prep class. That my, there's only so much that my brain can, can hold at once. So hopefully it was still beneficial. Hopefully it was still uplifting to you. I'd love to hear your thoughts about any of these chapters. You can send me an email. I, I really, really benefited from what Zany shared with me about that idea of clay. So if there's something that you've learned from these scriptures that maybe I didn't talk about, some additional insights, I, I really would love to hear them. They're a great benefit to me. You can send me an email, focusonlight13 at gmail.com or listed below. Additionally, that wonderful article that I mentioned about the teachings of President Nelson over the past four years, I will link below. Thank you again for listening to Focus on the Light, and I'll uh, talk to you next week.